0: Welcome everybody to the Discography Divers, the show where we pick a band and we listen to their whole discography and rank them. We're not critics, we're just fans, having a great time listening to music and talking about music. I'm Nick Moffat and I'm here with my wife, Shan McLean. Hey! Shan's excited.
1: I'm so nervous. She's
0: nervous today. She's always nervous. I'm
1: always nervous, but I'm I'm nervous especially because I... It's, it's a big band, and I just feel like there's a chance that I did it wrong. Like, I'm going to be <laughs> like, oh, no, everybody likes this album. I mean, it's been done in the past for anybody who's ever listened to any of our
0: episodes. You usually but. have at least one or two albums that are like, wow, Shen put that yeah. there. Interesting. Okay.
1: So it was a hefty discography. I don't know.
0: Well, um, that, that's, that's fine. I mean, we'll see how it goes. We're here today with uh, Andrew McDonnell-Lee. Andrew, I'm so happy that you're on the show. Hey, everybody. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. I mean, long-time fan
2: of the show, long-time <laughs> friend of you guys. Yeah. And uh, happy to uh, have you guys in my basement tonight.
0: Yeah, we're we're in the basement in New Gloucester... I say wait, did I say that wrong? New Gloucester, close enough. Yeah. New Gloucester, Maine. New
1: Gloucester, Maine. Yeah. We're currently on
0: vacation. We're out here in, in Maine and we're loving it. We love Maine. We love Maine. And uh, you shout know Shout out
1: Maine.
0: Shout out Maine. Uh, you know, we we really wanted to do uh, I just I've always wanted to have you on the show. Since we started the show, I was like, man, Andrew would be such a great person to have on the show because we talk about music all the time and uh our tastes often align. But with this band that you chose, um, I'm actually like very much waddling in the shallow end on this one, you know? Yeah, I have to say
2: like, I was really honored when I got the call up. I knew it was (laughs) gonna happen sometime. I just was, I didn't know when it was gonna happen. And we talked about what band we could do. You know, we threw around a lot of ideas. And at first, when we first started talking about doing this band, I got really nervous. Like, I was gonna take you on a little bit too wild of a ride. I know that you guys aren't, you know, huge fans of this band, or like maybe you haven't heard any songs at all by them. So I was like, you know, I think they'll like them, but then as I started listening, I was kinda like, what have I done? But I think by the end, like, I think we all had a good time and. I feel I mean, like we'll I feel out. like you guys could be newborn fans of this band. Is all I'm gonna say. Can, right.
1: can we say the band on the count of three, like all together? Though? Sure. Okay, one, two, three. The band is the, the Grateful dead. Dead. dead.
0: The thing is, the fans, the people who are listening <laughs> to the know. show, know what it is if they clicked on the I episode. Know, but isn't but that, wasn't oh, that, yeah. that
1: fun though? Yeah. <laughs> that I was fun? worried
0: about spoiling it. <laughs> um, the,
1: that's like a classic podcast thing to do, right?
0: Yeah. The, the thing about this band, The Grateful Dead, for me at least, is that they've always been like a daunting, like figure in music history. You know, totally. I mean, like I grew up um, with my dad. You know, he was on a few episodes ago for Bob Dylan, and he was very much like a '60s folk guy or and Beatles, like Beatles, Bob Dylan. Those kind of bands were what I grew up on. And I think I don't know if he said it on mic or off mic, but my dad was like, I don't like '70s music. You know, so, like, I have a lot of big-time, like, just blank spaces with a lot of big-time 70s bands. And, um, and you know, uh, Grateful Dead is one of them. I'd, I've heard, like, you know, a couple of their albums, definitely a bunch of their songs, but to really, like, sit down and go through them uh, was a very new experience for me. Yeah, I mean, like, I've been listening to
2: The Grateful Dead and I've been a fan of The Grateful Dead since I was, like, 15 or so. And I still don't even really consider myself a deadhead. I mean, there are people who are obsessed with The Grateful Dead and people who don't like The Grateful Dead at all and not many people in between. It's like all or nothing. So it's it's fun to be able to do a deep dive into them. I've never just gone through and dedicated myself to listening to a bunch of their albums at once, let alone all of their albums.
0: Well, and, um, and also, we should say that like it's kind of a weird thing that we're doing here with The Grateful Dead in that... like like they're very much a a live jam band like like people who think you think of the grateful dead you think of like their their like
1: deadhead culture is like following them around
0: following them around and they
1: have like a billion live albums
0: yeah and they're they're the jamming on it and like you know I, i feel like oftentimes people dismiss their their studio albums which is what we focus on on this podcast typically
2: yeah totally i mean I pretty much exclusively listen to live Grateful Dead, so for me it was interesting to like revisit their their recorded stuff because it's a new side of them. And to be honest, if we're just listening to the, the recorded albums, it is the tip of the iceberg. Like it's it's entering a whole new world where if you start really digging into the live stuff, you can go for a very 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 long time just endlessly. Um, so anyway, really any. Anybody who's interested in checking out the Grateful Dead because of this episode, I have some uh, some live album recs that I can put maybe at the end. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, just gotta say the
0: albums are just really the tip. It's just the start of the adventure. Just the tip. I, I'm definitely going to ask you about those at the end because I am very uh, just you know not a spoiler on our list or anything, but spoiler in that I very much enjoyed this. It was one of those things where after I got done listening to their discography, I was. Kind of shocked with myself in that like how come i haven't been listening to them for years and, years and years and years and years like it's like very much in my aesthetic very much in a band that i i should appreciate and like I'm, I'm digging it and i think i'm going to keep digging it i have a quote here from like an article i read somewhere like i've been doing a lot of research and stuff but someone said like the grateful dead are one of the hardest bands to start listening to but once you get into it they're one of the hardest bands to stop listening to
1: Ooh!
0: Yeah, and I I yeah. kind of I kind of feel that way with like like it's like I've just I've I've digested all of this like, you know, studio album stuff and um there's an ocean of of live stuff that's out there to just keep going through. Oh yeah. So, it's still continuing with our boy
2: John Mayer at the helm. You can go see the Grateful Dead, well, they're called Dead and Company these days, but it's, it's a show that, that has not stopped since, like, you know, 1966 or whenever they started. So, like, which of the original members are
0: in uh, Dead & Company? Yeah, good question. So, so, like, Jerry Garcia obviously has passed away. Right. And that was, like, when Brave Old Dead broke up because right. he, he died. And then, like, Bob Weir, is, he's in Dead & Company.
2: Yeah, so Bob Weir kind of took over, like, the leadership role after Jerry passed on. So, in Dead & Company, you got Bob Weir... Um, you got Billy Kreutzmann and Mickey Hart, and then you have some other guys like filling in the other instruments, um, including John Mayer on guitar. And there've been a bunch of iterations of like, you know, Grateful Dead follow-up bands and side acts and things, but Dead and Company is definitely the, the, uh, the premier one these days.
1: That's funny. Yeah. It is really like you
2: cannot understate really or overstate like, how weird it is that John
1: Mayer yeah, is Yeah, I was of that really like, out. wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, did I did I hear that right? Are we thinking of the same John Mayer? Yes. yes.
2: And they're like Phil Lesh is still going strong too on his on his own band. You know, they're definitely getting up there in years, but they're still out there like doing live tours and recording and the community is still very much alive and growing.
0: Nice. Yeah, I mean that's that's really cool. Um Um, real quick, I just want to like, just say like the, just for those who don't know, um, the Grateful Dead is from like San Francisco area, California. Yeah. Um, they, um, yeah, like I have, I have a quote here. Like, so they're like, they're known for being a jam band, right? Like that's like, they're. But they are yeah, are like the OG jam band, right? But their their music though is very eclectic. Like they go through a lot of different styles of rock. Like it's rock, folk, country, jazz, bluegrass, blues, rock and roll, gospel, reggae, world music, and psychedelia. Like that's that's what the Wikipedia says. As like, what kind of band are they? Well, here's Let, the let's list. Just, let's just list every genre. We
1: love Wikipedia genres. It's yeah. like a it's like a side <laughs> hobby of ours. Yeah.
0: Um, but then, like, they're very much known for their live performances, where they do instrumental jams, circle back around to crazy stuff, and which is, like, partly why, like, I don't know, I think a lot of people, I think we're even, like, I was talking to Joe yesterday, and he was, like, oh, doing, doing the album, so uh, it's like a, it's, like, a weird exercise that we're doing here, but, like... Again, like, I'm very surface level. I'm not trying to, like, piss off any deadheads. Like, I hope that I hope that everyone's, like, like I, I, I am going to be very novice about this. Like, I'm not standing by my list, like, at all. I, but
2: I think the deadheads will love you for what you're doing, by the way. Deadheads are very welcoming of new people, but they get pissed off at each other for their opinions on things. So, like, once you start getting a little deeper and you're like, yeah, I like... um. 1977 better than 1974. That's when they might come at your throat oh, Sure. A bit. But yeah. like if you're just like getting into the world, they'll yeah.
0: welcome you with a big hug. Yeah. And, well, I have a, yeah. I have a quote here from it's like it was from Brooklyn uh, Vegan, and uh, I just think this quote <laughs> is kind of cool. Like, <laughs> okay. um, it's not. It's
1: sorry. Go on.
0: Um, the Grateful Dead's status as a jam band pioneers is part of why they are so misunderstood. They're often ran off as a band with nothing to offer other. Offer beyond meandering jams, a band that you have to see live or be high, preferably both, to care about. But the Grateful Dead are so much more than that. For one, they are a great studio band. When the Dead land, when the dead land back on a verse or chorus after 20 minutes of jamming, you feel so alive because they're laying down music you know by heart. If their actual songwriting, and by extension their in-studio work, wasn't so life-affirming, this wouldn't happen. Just their
2: studio albums are, like, an impressive career in and of themselves. Like, they, they even all... if they weren't a huge live band, it would still be such a cool career of, like, just what they recorded. Yeah. Definitely. And
0: they also, like, it kind of reflects their whole studio... We'll go through it. We're going to go through all this stuff. But their studio albums also reflect what's happening in the time in yes. rock and roll history and stuff. So it's, it's like, they're very much, like, I want to say products of their time, but they went through a whole story of a career as far as studio albums go. So, I don't know. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it. Get I mean, it's it. a,
1: long, a lengthy discography. We got 13 studio albums. I think we got to start talking okay, let's, about it. Okay, let's dive into it. Okay, so with our guest, Andrew McDonally, we picked the band, The Grateful Dead. And then we went our separate ways. We listened through their discography in chronological order on our own, making our own rankings of favorite to least favorite albums. Here we are. Coming back together to kind of compare our lists and ultimately decide on a master list that will be informed by two novice <laughs> Grateful Dead listeners. Yeah, hope we're not. As, <laughs> I hope
0: we're just not super wrong on this not one. But uh, yeah, we'll take right. Andrew's lead on, on the ultimate ranking. But we also do our punt, we also do our punt phrase, so we don't talk about an album until it's the highest uh, as a priority. So, uh, what what is our punt phrase?
1: Um, I'm gonna punt it to Andrew to remind me what the punt phrase was.
2: All right. When it's time to punt an album, we'll say beat it on down the line. Beat
1: it on down the line.
0: So again, so if if someone has their album blower,
1: which is a song,
0: yes, yeah, <laughs> then then uh, we won't talk about it until it is the highest on all of our collective lists. So uh, yeah. So again, we have 13 albums to talk about. We're gonna try to run through some of the some of these. So let's just get into it, guys. So, Shen, what is your number 13?
1: Okay, guys, I feel nervous, but I'm just gonna go for it. My number 13 album was Blues for Allah.
0: Beat it on down the line. Beat it on down the line. Oh no, I
1: already feel so bad. No, 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 no. Sorry.
0: Subjective opinions. (laughs) Oh
1: my god. All right. Andrew,
0: what is your number 13? Built to Last. That's also my number 13. Okay. Guess
1: what, you guys? It's my number 12. Okay, so let's
0: talk <laughs> about that. So real quick, I'm going to set the table for Built to Last. Built to Last was their 13th album. It was their final album. It came out in 1989. Again, this is a band whose first album came out in 1967. So.
1: Those are 22 years.
0: Yeah, it's a solid career. This was their final album. Um, it was put out by the producers were John Cutler and Jerry Garcia. According to Wikipedia, the genres were rock and pop rock. Whoa. Yeah, pop rock for <laughs> yes. grateful dead. Okay. Um so Built to Last was uh, me and Andrew's number thirteen. Honestly, it seemed pretty obvious to me. Like diss. Okay. Yes. No, I'm not I'm not trying to diss you, Shannon. just like maybe I'm dissing the Grateful Dead at the end of their career or something, but like, you know, for me at least, when I go through and listen to the discography, I like drag a few I always put song I make a playlist as we go along. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any songs to put on from this from this album.
2: Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, there were other albums that I felt kinda of similarly about in general, but they had a couple songs that were like, okay, like I could listen to these other songs more. But Bill to Last is kinda of devoid of real listenable songs, which is a pretty harsh thing to say. But I have to say that a really interesting thing about this album is that the Grateful Dead were around for six more years after it was recorded? Like, this is nearing the end of their career, but it wasn't at the end. And actually, like, a lot of Deadheads say that 1989 was sort of a golden year of them playing live. So, yeah, a lot of people don't think this is their best album, or maybe it's their worst album, but it doesn't parallel their live career whatsoever. Like, this is actually sort of the height of Brent Midland's powers in the Grateful Dead. Like, he had really started to gel towards. Unfortunately, the end of his time with the Dead and the end of his life, like he was really really gelling with Jerry and people were feeling like he was like the like definitive keyboardist member of the Grateful Dead.
0: And he was the keyboardist through the 80s. Like he came on uh basically in 1979 or something, right? That's right. And he yeah. um he like so you're saying he gradually became more and more involved kind of with, at least chemistry-wise and stuff, and...
2: Yeah, The Grateful Dead can really be defined by, like, which keyboardist was playing at the time, or their eras can be defined that way. And it's, like, always roughly in 10-year periods. So Brent had been with The Dead for, like, 10 years, and he was really jiving with the whole band. It just seems like their studio output was kind of, like... I don't know, had lagged a bit, or, like, they weren't coming out with as much good new material at that point. So Built to Last... I think suffered from that.
0: Yeah, I mean the production is just so glossy and like yeah. I don't know, just clean and f- it just feels kind of weird. Like there are definitely a few moments in there where I was like, "Oh, here's a cool guitar solo. I like this or whatever." But dude, it's so cheesy sounding. Yeah, there's like <laughs> some elements of like Christian rock in there a little bit, and I was like, "Wait, what?" what? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cheesy. I
1: mean, I'm not gonna lie, you guys, my my thirteen. T- Thirteen, twelve spots I gave very little very <laughs> little attention to in this huge discography where I was trying to try and make my way. But Yeah. Fair. There's other
2: stuff to love.
1: Fair. Um, yeah, until you guys are like my number one blues for all. I, <laughs> and then I'm gonna be like, you know, running out of the studio. Yeah.
0: Out of the basement. Well, let's keep going. So uh uh, what is your number 12, Andrew? My number 12 was Go to Heaven.
1: Beat it on down the line.
0: Beat, Beat it on, on down, down the line. Beat it on down the line. All right. Um, my number 12 was Anthem of the Sun.
1: Beat it on down the line?
0: That was my 11, so... Well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. So Shannon, what is your number? What is your number eleven?
1: <laughs> no. My number eleven was in the dark.
0: In the dark, beat it on down the line. Beat it on down the line. The thing is, we have a lot more punts whenever we have long discographies. Right, right. Like just ha- like if we have a short discography, there's gonna be less punts. Right, it's just, just not gonna be- line up yeah, as much. Yeah, for sure. So we're gonna be saying beat on down, down the line a lot. we so, be beating that down the line. Yeah. So. Andrew said your number 11 was Anthem of the Sun. Anthem of the Sun.
1: Beat on the line. Yes. And wow. my number
0: 11 is The Grateful Dead, self titled.
1: Beat on the line.
0: Okay. Andrew, Shan, what's, what's yours?
1: 12, 11, 10. My number 10 was Go to Heaven.
0: That was my 12, so I'm good to talk about it. Right, so we're good to talk about that one then.
1: Wait, what was it for you?
0: Oh no no no! I'm sorry. Uh, beat it on down the line.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Beat it on down the line. Um, Andrew, what is your number ten? The Grateful Dead, self-titled.
1: Beat it on down the line, Whoa. y'all. <laughs> my
0: number ten is Shakedown Street.
1: Beat it on down the oh, line. Oh,
0: beat it down the line! Wow. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay.
1: This is uh, gonna okay. be a real wild ride. We got ride, some you controversial guys. opinions. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Um,
0: okay. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm I'm sorry. I mean I, I mean I'm you know no, I don't... we we'll get there.
1: Okay. We'll get there. Yes.
0: Um Shan, what is your number nine?
1: Ten nine. My number nine is Terrapin Station.
0: Beat on the line. Beat it down This is so
1: funny because you guys I can already see that this is like we are split into Grateful Dead eras.
2: Yeah, like, right.
1: Like, we've split up.
2: I think this is really cool, by the way, <laughs> that you can, like, piece out different favorites that are
0: wildly, wildly different.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> okay, so, Andrew, we're on number nine. So where's your number nine? In the dark. Be down the line. Okay. Uh, my number nine <laughs> is Go to Heaven.
1: Hey, let's talk about we it. can talk now about. Now we wow. can talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wait, so, so it was my number 10, wait, 13, 12, and it was your 11?
0: It was my 12.
1: 12, 10, and 9. Got
0: yeah. it. And, and honestly, those are those numbers are all pretty close together. I know we've been punting for like 25 minutes, but like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk about we it. We all kind
0: of agree on where this belongs yeah. in Set there. The closer to the bottom. Yes. Um... Go to Heaven was their eleventh album, so this was their uh, third to last album. It came out in nineteen eighty, so it was their first album from the eighties. Uh, the producer was Gary Lyons. The genres, according to Wikipedia, are blues rock, roots rock, and pop rock. And this was the first album with Brent, my Midland. Midland. This is the first time with Brent Midland on keys, and uh, yeah. Um, this like this one had was pretty good on the on the charts. Like this one actually sold no, actually this one did not do very well in the charts. <laughs> I'm sorry, I read that wrong in my notes. This one did not do very well in the charts and most people said that it was because of the album cover. Like I don't know if you guys No, you know? I was just
1: about to bring it I mean it's it's undeniable to bring it up. I mean but <laughs> it
0: can't be avoided.
1: Part of me really loves this album cover. It's just like, but it is screaming Christian rock. It screams eighties to it's me. It's called Grateful Dead Go to Heaven. It's eighties. They're all for those of you who don't know, Google it. But they're all in white, white tuxedo, white suits.
0: And the wind is clear. the wind blowing is blowing. In no their faces. Wind. And everything's white. It's like the background is white. Like it looks like they went to heaven. <laughs> It's right?
1: really weird. Yeah,
0: I think Jerry that's Garcia like. Garcia
1: looks hella cool though.
0: <laughs> that's
2: that's the Grateful Dead sense of humor where like they thought that would be hilarious. <laughs> it wasn't, but and their album sales suffered because of it. I don't know, though. Wow.
1: Jerry Garcia really looks cool as hell.
2: <laughs> so um, for me, like this album, it's funny that we're going from the end of the Brent Midland era to the very beginning because this is, as you said, uh, their first album with him, and. It's also funny that you listed all those genres, and the, the genre that I would classify this as is Yacht Rock. I think this is a straight-up Yacht Rock album. You know, I've
1: honestly never heard that. I feel that that might be an East Coast, uh, uh, a New England, uh,
2: New England oh, genre of music. Yeah, no. yeah. It, it probably is. Think like Hall & Oates, like Michael McDonald... Like yeah, yeah.
0: cheesy, kind of dead
1: yeah, music from before dead. they were dead. I very have dead. that
0: written in my notes a little bit. Like I have like, like the song Easy to Love. I wrote soft rock, but good. Like, I, I like that song. I, I like this to album. To be honest,
1: this album was like a lot higher when I first listened to it and it made its way down. And I was like surprised because I traditionally am not like that into 80s music. And I, I actually like had a, had a soft spot for this album. But ultimately it... As I went back and re-listened to the other albums, it was like, no, that one is better to me, whatever. But I, ca- I kind of dug this one.
2: Yeah. I And uh, there are some, honestly, like, objectively, to me, really good songs. Um, Althea, I think, is one of the classic Grateful Dead songs. And it's actually John Mayer's, like, I think, favorite song to play when he's playing with Dead & Company. He takes over the vocals, of course, and, like, it's, you know, it's so soulful. Um, but there are some duds on there. But at least, like, it's to me it's better than built to last because there are some actually very good songs on there. Right. And that's
0: that, I think that's the big difference there. And
1: it's memorable. Like yeah. there were a couple albums. I just like, couldn't, couldn't really remember built to last being one of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For me, for, <laughs> for me, like I, uh, I got really into a few of the songs. Like I really liked the opener, Alabama Gateway, getaway Althena for sure. Um, saint of circumstance but then like the more i listen to this album like i like like i said i put these onto the playlist and then as i like went back through them i was like i couldn't i couldn't shake that feeling that these songs probably sound a lot better live than they do on this recording you're absolutely right i mean just live they
2: aren't able to add as many cheesy effects as yeah. they can in the studio yeah. so like by default it has to be better
0: yeah. and like I completely agree. Well, just with the production of this album, there's like elements of disco. There's like, again, with soft rock, there's like, Uh, there's just like, there's just like 80s touches and flourishes that they are just existing on this piece of work. And, you know. Do you remember that, listening to that song, Easy to Love You? Yep. Which honestly,
2: like, I I listened to this album years and years ago, but I think I blocked that song out of my memory. Mm -hmm. That song is painful. To me, like, it was hard for me to get through that song and then go to the next album. It's just like it's Michael McDonald cheesy yacht rock taken to sure. the nth degree.
0: Yeah. So I don't does it does it not sound like the Grateful Dead? That's what that was like what I ultimately asked myself was like, I don't know, I like this. It's I hard got to say, I, like, but... I like songs off of it, but like, does it sound like the Grateful Dead? Yeah,
1: because, the, yes, I think so, yes, but I mean, this is a better question for you, Andrew. I'm sure I'm just like jumping in. No. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it does! It, uh, they just like has such an eclectic career. It's like anything could be, honestly, the Grateful Dead. And I, I was shocked listening through the discography and being like, oh, they got kind of disco. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> like, good
2: call, Shannon. Disco Dead <laughs> is a very, like, big and controversial topic yeah. in Grateful Dead communities.
1: Sure, because, <laughs> sure, I, I mean, like, most of, what music of their that era in in rock and roll was standing like fuck disco,
2: <laughs> right?
1: And so to hear them I mean, kind of do a disco sound, they anyway, were not immune so. from the
2: the cocaine era of like the late seventies, early eighties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> took anyway. them hard.
0: So yeah, uh, we can move on from Go to Heaven. Um, I'm having I'm, I'm that feeling right now where like sometimes when we record the podcast, my like opinion is like changing as we're talking about it yeah you know where I'm like I say this every single time record this next week next month next year my list would be totally different I feel like with Grateful Dead it's like very much more so than like any band we've done so far where like I don't know do you you think your like opinions of these albums are going up or down I mean so far like I, I mean who knows but with this one I could see going down especially if I like Full disclosure, I haven't listened to any of their live stuff. Like, straight up, I have not turned on a live Grateful Dead album at all. So, like, I feel like once I dive into that stuff, yeah, Go to Heaven's probably going to go down. The, the moment I hear Althena, the live version, yeah, Go to Heaven is going down. <laughs> or... I don't know, maybe this is just me, but like hearing
2: the live version will give you a different perspective on the song and give you like a different appreciation for mm. it. So then when you listen to it on the, on the record, it's like, oh, now I know what they were going for. And they sure. just didn't quite like capture it in the studio, yeah. but we we'll still love it anyway.
1: We'll have to have Andrew back on to do like a, a chunk and like an era of live albums like a discography, discography I was tempted I was tempted to
2: just like hand pick some of their like live stuff but there would have been a lot of repeats we've been yeah. listening to the same song
1: oh, a bunch yeah, of yeah. times which yeah. is against the spirit like, of this podcast know. I think yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay let's, so move, let, on let's on go, move on let's move on so that was have some more to cover that
0: was my um I think that was my number uh nine so Shan, what is your number eight
1: wait didn't i read? wait oh okay sorry i'm looking at my list there's so many i am I'm, I'm counting wrong 13 12 11, 10 9. my number eight was shakedown street
2: beat it all down the line Cool. Okay.
0: so andrew what is your number eight my number eight is from the mars hotel
1: beat it on down the line
0: so my number eight is in the dark which we can talk about. Right? Yes. Yes. So, uh, where was it on your list, Shan?
1: Um, for me, it was number 11.
2: And Andrew, yours was around there too? Mine was number nine. So, like a little bit more. And it actually, so full disclosure, like before doing, before listening to all these albums, I did an initial ranking. Mm-hmm. And then after listening to everything, I did a final ranking and I measured like how far up or down each album went.
1: Yeah.
0: This album went up a little bit. Um, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. A cool. little bit. Okay, so we're going to set the table for In the Dark really quick. So In the Dark came out in 1987. It was their 12th album. So this was their second to last album. So far, we're just talking about the last three albums, basically. Yeah. So Arista put this one out again as, as the record label. Jerry Garcia and John Cutler produced it again. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the genres are blues rock, roots rock, and pop rock. So, um... This one, I think, is most notable for uh, the opening song, Touch of Grey.
1: Great right. song.
0: I, mean, I agree. Touch of Grey. Is that uh, like,
1: controversial at all? People generally think that's a I think, it song. It a I think song. at the time I It's a beloved song. It's like a radio song. I did not know it was the Grateful Dead. I heard it and was like, oh, okay, yeah, I know this song for sure.
0: This was a huge hit. The song hit number nine on Billboard's Hot 100 list, which is the only song that has that's happened for Grateful Dead. Um, The it was on the mainstream rock charts, you know, so like it it's a big deal having a band like this in the top 40 Um, but You know, it's uh, It's a great song So I think I think there was some controversy about like how great it was when it first came out I think people kind of dismissed it at least that's what I read.
2: Well, yeah it was a big divider between like the old heads like people who had been with them for you know decades and suddenly this song and this album brought in an influx of like new Deadheads, um, which, you know, made some people grumpy. But it was also a really good influx of, of popularity and kind of was like a shot in the arm for their career in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So like, yeah, I mean, like there are people that you can talk to today at, you know, Grateful Dead shows or cover bands or whatever, and they're like, yeah, like I I got into them in the touch of grey era. Like and they identify as greyheads. Like they're a specific kind oh of Oh my gosh,
1: I love this. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's sweet. And like are, the song are, itself. Are, are greyheads proud to be greyheads? I think maybe ironically, at first That's it was a sure. disparaging name.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: so I'm so fascinated to hear like what what brand of head (laughs) you're gonna be like. I don't even know what it would be. I'm a station head. (laughs) I'm a fish head. I'm a pod head.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a I have a quote here from like I I I I was reading like a few blogs just about some of these albums and stuff, and I just thought this kind of painted a uh, kind of funny picture um, of the time that this album came out. So, too many in the dark, and consequently, Touch of Grey, was the beginning of the end. It symbolized the time when the spaceship got too big to fly. The band was playing sold-out stadiums where tens of thousands of fans, or what may consider to be non-fans, were snatching up tickets that were supposedly destined destined for the hands of quote-unquote real fans. Then, to make artists worse, once you get home from getting shut out of a show because the local chapter of Beta Kappa Delta decided to truck up from Buffalo, you see the Touch of Grey music video playing on MTV. But <laughs> but that has nothing to do with Black Mighty River, with West LA Fadeaway, or with Throwing Stones, all of which are extremely good songs.
2: I think there's some truth to that, but there's an irony in like they're playing bigger stadiums. But I also can't get a ticket because they're too popular. Well, like, they were playing bigger stadiums to, like, accommodate more fans. And they were, like, touring more
0: and stuff. So, I don't know. Like, I, it's a good thing. Like, ultimately, I feel like this is, like, a cold take in, like, this quote I read or whatever. Like, I feel like whoever wrote this must have been... is coming from the perspective of a long-time Grateful Dead fan. But, like, it's a very cold take in that, like... Touch of Grey is a great song, and who cares that they're playing bigger stage stages? Because, I mean, just because a band gets more popular doesn't mean that they're worse, right? And that's what that's ultimately what they're saying is that like this album is actually really good. Black Muddy River R- River is the closing closing song on here. It's great. It's one of their best closing tracks, in my take. In my I opinion. love
1: West LA Fade Away. A lot. I kept turning that one back on.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a great song. It's a good one. Also,
2: I gotta say, "Throwing Stones."
1: Yeah, I love that one too.
2: And I think it's it's their most directly like political song. It's like, "And the politicians throwing stones, ashes to ashes." Yeah. So, and, and that's Bob Weir getting like, you know, more political. I think classically, the Grateful Dead never dabbled in politics. They never said specifically what they were about. And it meant that they could attract fans from like all over the spectrum, you know, like the hippies and the um, the Hells Angels and like, you know, Tucker, Tucker Carlson is a Grateful Dead fan, which what? is really strange to me. Yeah, and Ann Coulter is too. And part of that could happen.
1: They're grayheads.
2: They're grayheads for sure. I mean, <laughs> they're total noobs. But they love go to heaven. (laughs) It's because like they never outright said like they were against the Vietnam War or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, pretty ambiguous. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Well, let's move on. Yeah.
0: So uh, that was in the dark. That was my number eight. So Shen, what is your number seven?
1: Okay, my number seven is Wake of the Flood.
0: On down beat it on down the line
1: oh no i saw that look
0: no no it's fine i it's saw just...
1: everybody's look
0: no i just again <laughs> I just I had, really i'm just having these <laughs> of like so, <laughs> <mad. laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh andrew what is your number seven uh Aximoxua. that's also my number seven oh, well wow. guess we what you
1: guys it's my number six
0: okay cool so we can talk about it right now then so cool I have a hard time saying this name. Axaxamotla. Okay. Aks- I don't know what the right one is. I think
1: it is. I was like looking at the phonetics on the Wikipedia page. I <laughs> think you got it. I did, I
0: did read that this is a meaningless palindrome. So <laughs> right, palindrome right. doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's just for fun. So <laughs> that's kind of cool. Trippy dude. Yeah. Um. This was their third album. So Axo Aksumat- Aks- yep, is their third album. It came out in 1969. This is when they're still with Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers put this out. The producers were The Grateful Dead. Uh, The genres were psychedelic rock, acid rock, and freak folk. Um, One of the interesting things about this album is that it was recorded on a 16-track board. Um, I read
1: that for sure.
0: And a lot of people consider this, like a lot of old-time fans consider this to be the apex of their experimental days. I would agree with that. I mean... By the way, this is such an interesting like leap
2: back in time that we're doing right now. Yeah. Like, My goodness, talking yeah. about like their <laughs> last few albums with Brent and going to like they're, 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 this era of the Grateful Dead is called like a proto dead or primal dead. Some people call it because it's like it is the Grateful Dead, but it's the Grateful Dead really figuring themselves
0: out and like sort of forming as a band and, and figuring out their identity. Um, it's pretty interesting too that like I don't know that, that their career is at least from a newbie jumping in right now it's very much divided into sections. I mean, the, the first three are booked together. I feel like the last three are booked together. Um, and maybe that's by keyboardists in a way too. It's also but, by decade. Like the first three were in the 60s. The for, middle bunch were in the 70s and the last three were in the 80s. For sure. For sure. So you know it's it's pretty interesting. I, I, I really liked this album. I thought like I thought it was, to me, like, we haven't talked about the other two yet, but I had this one the highest of the of the 60s albums, hmm. and to me, it had, like, the balance of the first two. You know, the first one being, like, a little poppier, the second one being a, more experimental. This one had, like, a really cool mix of both of those kind of things. Interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that.
0: Yeah. I, I think, think it'll be
1: interesting to see how that plays out in my list, but, um, yeah, yeah. Totally.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, this is the Grateful Dead as a San Francisco hippie band. Very psychedelic. They went to Woodstock around this time. Um, and I think they were, like, really coming into their own as, like, a less experimental but still, like, really pushing boundaries on this album. Um, also, I just have to say, I love that we're recording this in a basement right now because... I have strong memories associated with this album, listening to it in Joe's basement as like a, a middle schooler, basically, or yeah. a high schooler. And yeah. uh, it really brings me back. <laughs> but,
1: I was enjoying reading about how they recorded this album twice and got themselves into a lot of debt because they were just like, you know, all in on the like vision and the experimenting and um, then came out of it and was like, well, I guess we shouldn't do that again.
2: <laughs> yeah, they basically refused to rehearse before recording, so they would waste a
0: bunch of time <laughs> once they got to the so studio. Funny. Yeah, from what I, I read, that it wasn't as much with this one, but like the the second one, the "anthem of the sun," was very much that way. But
1: well, this one they just recorded, and then the sixteen track got released, and they were like, "Oh no, 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 no! We're gonna record it with the sixteen track," and so they yeah. just like scrapped everything. Wow. Before.
0: Okay, that's really cool. I it's like, really I cool. It's like kind of so stuff. funny to be it's like, so just
1: like, yeah, disregard the money totally. Like, yeah, I think
0: Warner Brothers was sick of them by the time they, uh, <laughs> by the time this came out. Yeah, what'd you call your album? <laughs> 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 um, I do want to say, like, I again, I had this higher than the other, the other, the first two Warner Brothers albums. I, I like this album a lot. Um, I did not know what what's become of the baby is like the experimental track that's on this album, like the one that's like clearly the experimental track. I was just like, what is this garbage? Like, I cannot, I cannot handle this. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then Cosmic Charlie comes on after that and I love that song. That's a closer. Again, really strong Closer thought that song was incredible, but it was like, it was so refreshing to hear a coherent song after, uh, <laughs> what happened to the baby or whatever. Like, I just was like, what is this? I just, I just, I don't know. I'm sorry, deadheads. I just could not wrap my head around, uh, what happened to the baby.
2: I don't know if there are a lot of what's become of the baby defenders out there. So I think you're safe, Nick. Okay. Good. <laughs> I'm, I'm a I baby.
1: Agree. I'm a baby head. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. How dare you? Um,
0: that was Shannon's number six. Six. Seriously? That
1: was my number six. Wow. Okay. I know it's not, it's going to be an interesting. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot to go
0: in like the top five. Okay, so uh, that was Shannon's number six. Andrew, what was your number six? Terrapin Station. Okay, uh, that's a pun for me. That's a beat down down the line. Okay. You already did Terrapin Station though,
1: Shannon, right? I sure did.
0: Okay, so um, my number six was from the Mars Hotel.
1: It on down
0: the line, wow. Okay, so Andrew, what is your number or Shen? What is your number five?
1: My number five is The Grateful Dead, the um
0: number one
1: self titled. Yeah, have
0: you done that one, Andrew? Yeah, that's lower for me. <laughs> okay, cool. So, <laughs> for sure, let's talk about that. Cool. So, um, The Grateful Dead, which, like. Right, they're Grateful Dead, but this album's called The Grateful Dead?
1: I feel, is it or is it backwards?
0: I'm pretty sure that oh, they are. Oh, that's a good question. So you know, oh, it's
1: The Grateful Dead by Grateful Dead.
0: Yeah, that's what I said. I think the they, album is The whoa. Grateful Dead. Yeah, I think the album is right. called The Grateful Dead, and right. then this, I, the grateful band dead. is Grateful Dead. Right. Yeah. I, uh, wow, I'm just having a
2: moment right here, like a Berenstain
0: Bears <laughs> thing. Oh no! I'm <laughs> a no me Grateful
2: Dead. This, this is about to turn I'm into a one. Like, I'm, like, I'm looking at the
0: Spotify list, and it's just by Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this album came out in 1967. It was put out by Warner Brothers. David Hassinger was the producer. Um, the genres, according to Wikipedia, are: get ready for this, guys. Rhythm and blues, folk rock, blues, psychedelia, San, Fr- San Francisco sound, and garage rock. So, um, I'm really
2: glad they threw garage rock on there because that's like the first genre I think of when I hear this early Dead. It's just really fast and like distorted and like sure. grungy, like yeah. It's almost like surfer rock sometimes.
0: Yeah, and you know, so they picked David Hassinger to be the producer because he had worked with the Rolling Stones on "I Can't Get No Satisfaction" and Jefferson Airplane on "Surrealistic Pillow." So, like, the the Warner Brothers was trying to like, you know, make a make a full on like pop album of 1967. And right. honestly, that was my kind of problem with this album. That's why I had it so low. I had it. Um, I had number eleven. And my problem with this album is that it sounded like too many other bands. Like, it kind of sounded like a band that didn't really know what they were doing in the studio and were trying to, like, fit themselves into a box when they were not at all a band that should be fit into a box.
1: Wait, where was this on your list?
0: I had it at number 11.
1: Okay, that's funny that you say that because, like, honestly, that's, like, why I liked this album. And it's because when we when I first turned it on, obviously it's the first one we turned on. And I tend to have a soft spot for first albums because totally. they like really, it's like kind of regardless of like it does tell the story, like it's a crucial part of the story. So I always tend to be like, oh yeah, that's where they came from. I respect it. Like, and they, the first albums often end up higher mills yeah. because of that. But I, I really liked I really liked like not knowing what I was getting into turning it on and hearing just like the sixties rock album and being like, okay, yeah, I can see it's like, you can see the wheels turning and like where they're going to go. But it's like, I, I dug, I dug that it was like still kind of confined to like this sixties pop rock kind of, I don't know. It was like, what can they do within the rules of what is current was currently happening in music. And then it's like, once they got their foot in the door, you know, go off. Yeah.
0: And go I, off. And honestly, like I was res- I honestly I liked that. I like I, I like I had a similar reaction when I first turned it on. I like listened to it all the way through and I was like, this is not at all what I was expecting and I'm enjoying it very much. But then like as I went back through, I kinda like started just like pulling songs off of my playlist. You know, like like uh Morning School Girl. Like
1: Okay a Decent
0: enough song. I liked the song, but, but I can't
1: what was the obsession with Little schoolgirl, yeah come here. That was a
0: big thing in the sixties. It's such a big thing. Like, It's so creepy. Girl.
1: It's so creepy, like yeah. the doors. I just like, like
0: yeah. And that was the thing. It sounded like Jim Morrison to me. Like I was just like, this, yeah, yeah. this sounds way too much like Jim Morrison. I can't. I couldn't get over it. You know. So
2: yeah. I mean, it was definitely them, like uh, as part of an era, part of a scene that was going on, especially in California in the sixties. And I totally agree with you, Shannon. By the way, like. On first albums like they are always essential and the thing is the musicians are never phoning it in on the first album they're always like trying real hard you know they're, they're trying yeah. to get their foot in the door they might miss a little bit but it's never gonna be like some you know last albums or later albums where they're kind of like just there because this the um, the record label made them get there I'm just here to get paid
0: right, exactly sort of yeah.
2: yeah I have to say that You know, as somebody who, again, like, I'm used to hearing the live versions of a lot of these Grateful Dead songs. It was really weird to listen to the early iterations of some of these. Because in the studio, they were played just way faster than they Mm. ended up playing them live. Especially Morning Dew. Morning Dew is a song that became, like, one of their ballads that would, like, bring people to tears. And it was slow and epic in their later years. And on this album, they were, like... Playing it just really fast and like it was almost like a pop song. It's fine too. It's like it's, it's kind yeah. of like
0: just another song that's on there.
2: Right, but they really metamorphosized it like just in a few years after this album was created. And I'm excited for you guys to listen to or even watch some videos of them like playing it in, you know, 73 or something. And, um, and there's a few other ones on there that are like that, like Cold Rain and Snow. Um, but yeah, just like really seeing their evolution. And case in point, Something I didn't pick up on until doing this listen through is the fact that they did "New New Minglewood Blues" yeah. on this album. I
1: just saw that today. Like I yeah. just saw like yeah. Yeah, like I
2: saw it like the other day, and they also played on Shakedown Street, and it's such a good way to compare like
0: how they were sounding in these two very different eras. Yeah,
1: they got new new and all new Minglewood Blues. Right, <laughs> yeah.
0: This one's yeah. all new. Yeah. Not to spoil it, but that's partially why I had Shake on Street like a little bit lower. Just oh wow, I was just like, "What are you guys doing?" Cycling songs, <laughs> Come on, <Bob>. right, right. <laughs> And that song's a cover too. Like they didn't even write the song. Totally, that's I <laughs> but um, we can get to that. But. And though I also was reading a lot about their like the Ken Kesey acid test during this time that they're a part of, and like sorry. to me there's just like a lot more interesting things happening with the band outside of the music than what was happening on this record. So like when I listen, like I again I'm with you, Shan. The first time I listened to it, I was like, "This is really, this is really good." But just like after I I just kept reading about the acid test and all these other things that were going on with the band, and I just kept being like, "Man, none of this." None of this interesting stuff is like in the record at all. Like the record to me is Warner Brothers trying to fit them into a box. And
1: yeah, but just... they broke out of the box. It's cool.
0: So one more it's thing, a cool about... story. They do break it out of the box. I just don't know what they did it on this album. but... No,
1: but it was the start and yeah. a crucial part of the arc. I feel
0: yeah, like I, I, don't, feel like I don't.
2: I like don't I think it, it like captured that you know Firefly. It didn't bottle the Firefly or whatever like mm-hmm. of what they were about during that time. Yeah. You can watch some videos or listened to recordings of them in the late sixties and like they were really like aggressive and like experimental and great and I don't think this album really captured that. Mm-hmm. But another sort of funny thing about this is that directly prior to this album and directly to them being The Grateful Dead, they were like a jug band, you know, like, yeah. like a like, jug band right. called Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions. Yeah, and so they went from that, like playing like banjos yeah. and and jugs, jugs. to yeah. like this crazy garage rock, yeah. um, which is quite a one eighty
0: for sure, for sure.
1: I do think we should move on.
0: Okay, let's keep going.
1: But you know, good album on in my in my view. Yeah, we're
0: getting to the good album era. So, rankings. <laughs> <laughs> so, remind me though, that was Shannon's. That was
1: my number five. That was
0: Shannon's number five. So, Andrew, what is your number five? Blues for Allah. That's also my number five. Wow.
1: All right, I'm very excited to talk I, about this, you guys, because.
0: You had a lot. That was your number 13. That
1: was my number. Five.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that. Wow. So, that's, that's a huge difference, Shannon. I know, I did it wrong. I
1: did it wrong. I know. No,
0: it's fine. No, so no. I want to hear what you're saying. You want, like, I just want to know why you put it there, but like. Let's get into it. So Blues for Allah was put out in 1975. It was their eighth album. So this is basically the middle of their career. Um, This is when they uh, had their own record label. So it was put out by the Grateful Dead slash United Artists. The producers were the Grateful Dead. Um, The genres according to Wikipedia are jazz rock and progressive rock. So um, up until this point, this was the highest grossing uh grateful dead album so it, it reached number 12 on the billboard charts um so that was you know pretty high for them but and i also thought the recording of this album was like pretty interesting too because it was they decided to take more of like um uh, a low-key approach to recording i guess they recorded it at um they recorded at uh weir's house Like in his basement or whatever, like that he like set up a studio there. there Shout out
1: basement. Yeah, so they were
0: just kind of people were going in and out and stuff. So just kind of recording casually, more casual at his house and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, Shen, why did you have this album number thirteen?
1: I don't have a good reason. It was because we listened to thirteen albums in a short span of time, (laughs) and this one didn't particularly stick out to me, and I honestly didn't give it a second once to listen.
2: I think that's okay. And by the way, I even though I ranked it number 5, I in my initial ranking, I had this at number 2 and it went down to number 5, which was one of the biggest downgrades I had of albums. Yeah. So, Shannon, I I mean, there were a couple, couple songs you. I liked
1: on it and stuff and and like who knows? Like I might go back and have like a really like different listen through. It was honestly a matter of time for me. Sure. And like I was like, "Yep. Nope, that one didn't stick, and I don't have time to go back and explore why. So well, it landed at number thirteen. I'll tell you
0: for me, um, "Help on the Way" slash Slipknot was my number one opener. Like often we do, like warm up questions on here, and like one of the warm up questions always like was your favorite opening track. That was my number one opening track. Totally, and like that is such a
2: hype song when a band starts playing that live. And I was about to say the same thing as you, Nick, where. Help on the Way, Slipknot into Franklin's Tower yeah. is like I think one of the greatest intros of any record, like not even just Grateful Dead.
1: I'm really but excited to go back and listen it, to it. talking just
2: but Shannon, to be fair to you, it just gets weirder from there. Like you might <laughs> like the next couple tracks, King Solomon's Marbles. Okay, but
1: honestly, can you? This is a, okay. Go on, go on.
2: But by the end of this album, like it's very very experimental, where they're like trying genres that the
0: Grateful Dead should never try. Like, it just kind of goes off the rails. I have in my notes, like, like the instrumental voyage of King Solomon's Marbles is the right kind of weird, but then uh, the music never stops, stopped, and then things get too weird. You know, like, things get a little too weird. Yeah, I did like
1: that song, King Solomon's Marbles, for sure. It's it's a good song,
0: yeah. I never
2: liked the music Never Stopped, because it seems like just a really cocky song, like it's about like a band that's really killing it on the road, and like I think it's a little self-referential. Yeah,
0: um, but that's just me. Yeah, but, I really didn't get into the Blues for a song, like the 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 title track, oh, that's man. the the epic one. Like I just was like, uh, I, I don't know, this isn't this isn't doing it for me. That one's got a Sufjan
2: Stevens uh, length name of a song. It's like blues for Allah, sand castles and glass camels, blah, 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 and like a bunch of other words <laughs> after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it gets a little too weird. So, Shane, you're not wrong. Um, we just like the top half of it more mm-hmm. than you had time to give yourself. I credit really for. appreciate
1: you guys validating me. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay, so if we keep moving on, um, that was, sh- that was uh, me and Andrew's number five. So, um, what is your number four, Shannon?
1: My number four is From the Mars Hotel.
0: Cool. Yeah, we can talk about that one. I cool. had that at eight. Cool. I had that number six. So, we're all pretty close together on that one. So, From the Mars Hotel is the album that came out actually before Blues for All Us. So, it was their seventh album that came out in 1974. Uh, again, this is when they had their own record label so the grateful dead put it out grateful dead were the producers on it the genres according to wikipedia were roots rock and psychedelia and um yeah like i have a few uh, interesting facts about this one i don't know if i if you guys want me to tell them now or not but like to me um to the standout tracks were pride of oh man i can't say this pride Cook-a-manga. of kookamanga and unbroken chain which were the phil lesh songs and uh, he doesn't always get to have his own songs on these albums. And I thought those were two like big-time standout tracks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to me, the big standout track is Scarlet Begonia's.
1: Yep.
2: Which, like, everyone loves Scarlet Begonia's, especially because it's a Sublime song. You know, they covered it. Um, my note for this album was, Scarlet Begonia's, one of my favorite studio recordings, the rest is meh. <laughs> like, I was actually surprised at how little I reacted to this album I just like didn't dislike it but didn't latch on to very much and it actually demoted the most of all of my Grateful Dead albums so from my initial rankings it went down four places mm. and I think just because like I expected it to be such a, a great album it was in the middle of the 70s sort of at the height of their powers um, and it just like didn't do much for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I hear that. Um, I just, I, I like the opening track, U.S. Blues. Do they play that one live much? Because I don't know, I thought that was a solid opener. I love opener that, I love how that song. It, how fast it opened and how just, like, bluesy and interactive it was right it was, away. This
1: was like a blue bluegrassy album. I kind of, yeah. I just dug that. I dug that sound. It was... the,
2: yeah, they did play U.S. Blues live. I mean, it wasn't, like, a, a standard of theirs, but it showed up a bunch in their 70s shows.
1: I also have soft spot for The Closer, Ship of Fools.
2: <laughs> Shannon, I think you like the Bob Weir songs. You've called <laughs> out a few.
1: Okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> like, honestly, like, I don't know them well enough to, like, be able to tell, like, who was who singing. But I did, like, I, so I couldn't tell. But obviously you can tell there's different singers. But I was like, who am I, like, who am I vibing with in this band? Shan
0: should go back and make just, like, a Bob Weir playlist. Yeah. I'd be into that. He had some of the cheese ball
2: songs, some of the cowboy songs, some of the blues songs. Like, he kind of had his own niche within
0: the band. But Bob, Bob's great. We love Bob. One thing that, like, I told you guys off mic that I thought was interesting, though, is that Unbroken Chain was sampled by Animal Collective for their song What Would I Want Sky? You know, I think all three of us are big Animal Collective fans. I know me and Shen especially, like, big-time Animal Collective people. And um, I guess it was the first sample ever cleared for use by the Grateful Dead. So...
1: And then we listened to both songs, like, back to back, and I honestly could not figure out what the yeah, yeah. sample was. It's, not an, was obvi- like, um, it's okay. not an obvious sample. It's not like,
0: it's not like Lou Reed and charcoal uh, Quest or something. It's, yeah. it's like,
1: oh, yeah, I guess it's mixed in there. I guess used that sound, that, yeah. one, that one sound.
2: Can I just also say that it, it sounds weird that that was the first song cleared um, as a sample of The Grateful Dead? Because The Grateful Dead famously had this attitude of, Anything we record, anything we play, like it's not ours anymore. Once we play it, like anybody can take it and do what they want. Okay, with so it.
1: Animal Collective were just like really nerdy, and they're like, we have to get your permission. Yeah, maybe they're the only ones <laughs> that like, ask. Oh, okay, <laughs> yes, we clear you.
0: <laughs> or the grateful that we're just hypocritical about it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, again, this is Wikipedia. That I'm pulling off of, so who knows uh, what's truth or not, but. Yeah, I mean, we can keep going though. So, um that was uh Shannon's number four, right, Shannon? Yes. Okay, so that was your number four. Uh Andrew, what is your number four? My number four was Wake of the Flood. That's also my number four. Wow, and Andrew, I... we have a few, like this is our third matchup. Wow. Nice. I love I I it think. when
1: this happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hasn't happened. It, it never happens to me. <laughs>
1: It was my number seven, and honestly, it was a, it was higher up and kind of just... It's been... That one in particular has been floating around my goddamn list. Floating just, like
2: on the flood.
1: Just oh. caught in the wake. <laughs> I don't know if that's the... Checks out. I don't know how wakes work.
0: <laughs> wake boarding.
1: Um...
0: <laughs> well, let me set the table for it really quick. Um, wake of the Flood came out. It was their... It was their sixth album. It came out in 1973. Uh, they produced it. They put it out. According to Wikipedia, it's jazz rock slash Americana. Uh, this is the first album with, with Gotchocks on the keys. and Keith Gotcha. Gotcha. Can't wait. I'm sorry. This is the oh, first Oh, I'm time sorry.
2: It, you know? it's, it's with Keith Gotcha and Donna Gotcha. Who are collectively the Godshaws. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was <laughs> but my their note name is, in there. But
1: their name is spelled with an X, which could yeah, sound man. like Gotchogs. Godshaws. <laughs> the
0: God And I feel like it should be noted that, like, at this point in their career, they're coming off of three live albums that were released before this. Like Skull and Roses, Europe 72, History of the Grateful Dead, Volume 1, Bears Choice, were all released before this one. And, like, that's that means something, you know? Um just in terms of like fan reaction and growth of the band and stuff. And also this is the first one that was put out on their record label.
1: And the first without Pigpen.
0: This is the first without Pigpen? Yeah, big departure from the blues that that Pigpen brought. Pigpen
2: was the keyboardist um, at the beginning of the Grateful Dead's career, and he was a big blues guy. He famously said something like, uh, what are these hippies doing with my blues band? Okay. As they kind of migrated away from, you know, the, the roots, blues sound. I love actually that great that um, Wikipedia said that one of the genres for this album was jazz rock. Because one of my first reactions to this album, this is really weird, but is that it sounded kind of like Steely Danny a little bit. Sure. Like that really like intentional studio recording where like everything is just right. Um, and there's sax solos in it, which I was a little bit surprised by. Um, and it was coming off, chronologically, it was coming off of some very big folk focused albums, folk and country and blues. So this is really like, oh, they are like digging into the studio and their guitars and, you know,
0: keys and, and sax. So like much more jazz sound than, than previous albums. So much blues for sure. Like it's very much a blues album. Um, I picked up. Yeah, I mean, Road Jimmy, Let Me Sing Your Blues Away, like, yeah. very, very bluesy. Um, I, I thought the, the weather report, the long closer, was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that one is pretty epic. Yeah, very epic. Um, I don't know, I, I, I do this on the podcast often, I, I, I seasonalize records quite a bit. And I had this one as a summer album, but like a late summer album when like fall is on its way Ooh. and you're kind of getting Ooh, I sad. I love that. You're kind of getting that, sad yeah. that like summer's ending. And um, yeah, yeah, that's how I felt about this one. Yeah.
1: We haven't talked about their artwork hardly at all, which could be its own thing. But um, I, I don't know. <laughs> Just a sidebar of like, what's your guys' favorite <laughs> favorite album cover this one's up there for me with this guy coming over the rocks just
2: oh i thought he i I always thought he was like harvesting wheat oh maybe he's just harvesting wheat but isn't that the
1: ocean in the background i don't know yeah (laughs) he looks creepy it's shit (laughs) it's definitely an
2: outlier of their album covers like it's not trippy like a lot of their other ones are it's just this dude harvesting wheat by the ocean
1: okay anyway they're they're very weird very weird album covers
2: Yes, you should see the live ones too. Oh,
1: actually, the only. So, you know, when I learned how to use, like, my parents' record player, I would just go through their albums and I recognized one of the live albums with, like, the weird clown artwork.
2: Oh, yeah. Lots of clowns, lots of skeletons. Lots of clown skeletons. And other ones that just look like uh, Windows XP screensavers. Like, <laughs> I don't have a lot of effort put into those. <laughs> but
1: yeah that's like my that's my um pre-grateful dead experience so this was being like huh this seems weird i don't know if i'm gonna put that on (laughs) yeah i think i
0: like the terrapin station cover with but it's pretty simple i just like the i just like turtles like dancing on the porch Mm. yeah Mm. oh
1: i'm i'm big on this uh on the shakedown street which is like looks like our Chrome and i don't know if it is but it looks like it.
2: So one more thing about Wake of the Flood, if we if we were talking about these albums chronologically, Wake of the Flood i think for me would be the first album that like actually like grooves really well. Like especially Eyes of the World where mm-hmm. it's just like it settles into a pocket so nicely and really defined a sound that they had for a long time after that. Where before their albums were either like, you know, very fast-paced psychedelia Or folk rock. Right. Um, Wake of the Flood was like, we are just going to like groove, you know? Um,
1: That's so funny. The the only notes I have for this album was very solid album, Eyes of the World. So everything you just said was was how I feel about this.
0: (laughs) I think it's one of their best songs. And yeah, that's interesting that you're saying that at this point too, because it's like, again, like this band is known for being live and jamming and like like six seven albums in what, what when I what did I say this is their seventh album uh, this is their sixth album. Six albums in they're like capturing like a groove, you know where I actually have a theory as to why and I could
2: be totally off base with this. This might be a, an era during their career when they only had one drummer instead of two drummers. Mm. and Mickey Hart was their other drummer who like he, he ended up coming back. But he was more of a percussionist and like like kind of hit a lot of different drums and things and like it sounded great, but it was sort of anti groove what he was doing. Sure. So I think when they had one drummer it was just easy to fall into a pocket. Yeah. So I could be totally off with that. Maybe they had both it's Billy
1: and Mickey on this. It's good theory.
0: But that's that's my take for this album. I wonder I wondered if it was partly due to them having their own record label and having like for mm-hmm. the first time like not really answering to anybody.
1: Yeah.
0: But Yeah, having the time to, you know, do what they wanted on this album. But yeah, we can keep going, though. Um, That was um, Wake of the Flood, which was me and Andrew's number four. Shan, what was your number three?
1: All right. It's happening, you guys. My number three was American Beauty.
2: (laughs) That was also my number three. Okay. I'm going to have to beat that down the line. Cool. (laughs) Um,
0: Andrew what was your number three so my number three was Working Man's Dead beat it on down the line
1: beat it on down the line
0: my number three was American Beauty Uh, Sean, what was your number two
1: Working Man's Dead
0: great beat it on down the line
1: nice interesting nice yeah
0: that's weird Um, that you see that now so um, Andrew what was your number
2: two so my number two, big surprise for me, was
0: Shakedown Street. Okay. Very cool. cool. Let's talk about it.
1: Very Shakedown cool.
0: Shakedown Street. Shakedown
1: Street. This one I'm surprised it's lower for me because it's pretty exciting.
0: Oh, it's I mean it's, like I'm excited
1: like, to listen to it again, is what I mean. Like, okay. it's, like okay. it's like it's, it's also a, ex-
0: an exciting sound. Yeah. Like. So this album we'll came it, out uh nineteen seventy-eight. It was their tenth album out by Arista Records um, the producer was Lowell George um, no shit yeah Lowell George was the front man
2: of Little Feet who's another jam band contemporary not as famous as
0: the Grateful Dead but really great band in their own right yeah um, according to Wikipedia, the genre was rock <laughs> sure was <laughs> <laughs> And uh, This was the last album with the God (laughs) and um, it featured a few covers on there. Um, So, like, The Young Rascals' Good Lovin' was the opening track, which was, like, trippy for me because I was like, wait, like, I know the song so, so much, but it also doesn't sound like the original song. Oh, that's, it's not. I had
1: the exact same, like, like, double take. I was like,
0: this was Grateful Dead? (laughs) Wait, no, it's, this is a cover. Okay. Like, this is Young Rascals. Um. Injury, you had this so high. I, I mean, I had it so low. I'm sorry I had a number 10. But uh, tell me what you love about this album.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I surprised myself with how much I love this album. Um, it got bumped up three places from my initial ranking. So, like, initially I was like, oh, you know, Shakedown Street, it's a fine album, but, like, it's kind of... I mean, it's definitely, like, from their late 70s cocaine phase. Yeah. Um, you know, very, very much... Party dead. Some would even say disco dead. Um, at least some of the songs are, are certainly disco dead, and their live sound at the time was like upbeat to the point where it was almost a fault. Like they were taking some classic ballads and just playing them wicked fast. Yeah. Um, and they were really you know tight at this point in their career, but I think I just I what 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 surprised me about this album was how like. How much swagger it had like and it, it had a mix of that swagger that was like oh yeah like I want to listen to that again I want to listen to that while I'm driving or like while I'm having people over while I'm cooking like so many things I could like just like kind of like dance while while doing lots of different kinds of things but it also had some experimental aspects to it like certainly Fire on the Mountain is a song that while it does groove very hard um it's like it's got a really unique sound, like it doesn't fall into the same types of genres as, you know, the Good Lovin' or the New Minglewood Blues or like, you know, the more rock heavy tracks. So I I thought there was like a bunch of songs that stretch the boundaries on this album to the point where I was like, I can't believe this is Shakedown Street. Like I've heard this album so many times, but I think just listening to it in relation to other albums of the Grateful Dead, I was just shocked at how much I I resonated with this
0: that's really cool and I, I honestly feel like this one could and would go up in my rankings like it really like it started out higher and then it went lower um, mostly because I got just something stuck in my head and uh, I'll tell you what that is um, it's like the cocaine party thing you know the like like to me that my first listen I was like hell yeah, this is a summer album. This is purely, like, an awesome summer, like, hangout album. Like, I can totally get behind this. And then, like, and then I went back, and I I don't think I listened to the whole album. I just listened to, like, you know, some of the songs that stood out or whatever. And I was like, okay, this this kind of reminds me of, like, Black Sabbath, Volume 4, which I don't know how familiar you are with Black Sabbath, but... Volume four was when they like went, just like went to Miami and were like just doing a lot of Coke. And like to me, black like that's actually one of my favorite black Sabbath albums because it's like a departure of what, of what they do. And it's like sunny and happy. And, but like, I was like, I don't know. This isn't a departure for grateful dead though. Like to me, that's why I got, that's what got stuck in my head. I was like the, the cocaine, happy party thing. Isn't a departure for this band. It's just, like, a crutch or something. And so I just kind of got stuck in my head that, like, I don't know. I just don't know if this is vibing with me for their whole discography, I guess. So I just kind of made the decision to put it lower. But, like, I could see it being a lot higher. I think I was just kind of stuck on something or other.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally see what you're saying. And to be honest, if I were to do this whole discography again, I might, like, Cool down on Shakedown Street a little bit. No, heat it up. Heat it up, this baby. It's a good
1: one. It's a hot album. I'm just really happy you have it higher because like there something something about this album like really stood out to me, especially my like frantic re-listenings and like trying to figure out what the heck was gonna my list was gonna be like. Um, so I'm happy. I'm happy to see that it's because you know I get in my head, making my own list. I'm like, oh no. Is this one that people like or don't like or like am I do I like it? I don't know. And so it's it's like refreshing to me to see it it's so high on your list. It was mid mid card on my list. I split the difference between you two.
0: Yeah, just the, the poppy beach sound is what I wrote on my notes. You know, and so like I just feel like I could go either way on that sort of thing. I like I love poppy beach sounds. But also like, again, I'm a novice. I just feel like I could I could definitely get into this album just I think I got a little stuck on it. I think uh, we keep coming back to like, what would the Deadheads think? But I think the Deadheads would probably agree with you guys more than me on this. Well, maybe they need to go back and listen to Shakedown Street and realize how great it is. That's right. Um, Cool. So, yeah, we can keep going, though. Um, Okay, so my number two is Terrapin Station.
1: Let's talk about it, right? Oh, Let's talk. talk. Where about. was it on your list, Andrew?
0: Number six, which okay. i and it was nine like for Embarrassed me. about
1: it was higher
0: me. low to be embarrassed about. That was so low. Yeah. Okay, so my number two, Terpen Station, came out in 1977. It was their ninth album. So this was produced by Keith Olsen, um, which is notable because uh, he's like the Fleetwood. He's Fleetwood Mac's longtime producer so like this was from what i understand this was their this was their first album on arista records so like the grateful dead um having their own label thing fell apart like they don't have their own label anymore they're back on you know a major label and the the label wanted them to like be more of a mainstream band, I guess. Like, they wanted them to, like, the reel them in, I guess. And so they got the the producer from Fleetwood Mac to come in and play ball or whatever, like, to, you know, make, make a recording or whatever. And uh, to me, like, it paid off. Obviously, I have it number two. Uh, but I just thought this was, like, a really beautiful, like, totally together album like I thought this was clearly their poppiest album like of all of their albums I thought it was their poppiest but like in a good way um like the outside production worked very much for me it still had like it still had the Terrapin Station medley as the closer which was like which was to me totally fantastic it was like one of their better like jam sessions and like improvisation in the studio like coming together in a really magical way and, um, yeah, I don't know. I just Nick's thought just that... a
1: really big Dancing in the Streets fan.
0: Yeah, I just, I guess. I, I mean, Yeah. I just thought it He's all a dan- came... His dance head. I just thought it came together uh, in a really great way. I thought yeah. a lot of things really came together in a special way for this one. Can I just... This is
2: such a weird, hot take, and I came up with this today. Like, when I was doing my final notes. I think this album, in structure... And in an Attitude, too, kind of, is similar to Pink Floyd's Metal. Do you guys know that album? Yeah. Where it's like a bunch of good songs, but like relatively shorter songs. And then the final track, and maybe this is the entire second side of the, the vinyl album, is just one long song, right? It's like a 20-minute-ish a or however long it is, like epic multi-part um, like opera <laughs> um, where Pink Floyd had Echoes, Grateful Dead had the song Terrapin Station, um, and so I, I felt it it fit a similar role, and it, it fits a similar role for me in my like in my relationship to this album. Where I'll come back to that one long song a lot of times. Like I'll put it on when I'm like I got a really long drive to go, or like I just need to like get through something and go through all those parts together. And then I'll I'll always like neglect the other songs and be like, oh yeah. I forgot how good estimated profit is or Oh like, I
1: loved that song. That really was like that's a standout a song, song yeah. to me in their discography. That's
2: like the the fearless if, if we're talking about metal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like Seamus or something. So like I just had that reaction when I was thinking about that album today, where it's it's a similar approach to the way an album can be structured. And I also I think that's hilarious that they're they're um the the label had basically said to the producer, like, I need a commercial record out of these guys, like and actually what the, I can't remember his name, but the the producer did was he physically nailed them, he nailed the band into the recording studio, like what? with planks and nails. What? Because he just needed them to like practice and record until they came out with something that sounded good wow. and not like let their friends in and out. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I have to say that this came out in 77 and a lot of people think 77 was the Grateful Dead's best live year
1: oh interesting it's a great year for music in general oh yeah
2: i mean don't even get me started but like (laughs) they were extremely good live like a lot of their most famous shows of all time happened in the year 77 and people think it's because they had to practice so much for this album Mm, like they're
1: technically their yeah right and they
2: never practice
1: for anything else that's funny
0: right cool Shan, where did you have tarot decision?
1: I had it at number nine. Okay, okay. Yeah, it. Yeah, y'all. This was a journey of trying to of trying to piece this one together. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well.
0: So. Um. Yeah. Let's just keep going then. Let's tr- keep trucking through this. Trucking. Trucking. Um, that was my number two. So Shan, what was your number one?
1: All right. I feel really, really weird saying this, you guys, but my number one. Was Anthem of the Sun? Oh, <laughs> Which man. you guys, you guys both, outed way earlier.
0: <laughs> it was both me and Andrew's number twelve. I think. Right? Let's like, come wait, clean. Yeah. It was my eleven, okay. but still.
1: Um, so that feels insane. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I like that you liked about it. it.
0: Yeah, let's talk about. It. I mean, <laughs> let me set the table for Anthem of the Sun really quick.
1: Wow. I don't know, but um, I, like, I don't know what I'm feeling right now. Like, am I feeling embarrassed or? Um, confused honestly
2: honestly, what i feel is jealous like i love that it's it sounds like you had a really great experience with this album and i'm excited to
0: experience that uh vicariously yeah i'm uh i'm curious more more so it was just yeah it was something that i didn't connect with um but yeah let's let's like uh (laughs) let's talk about let me set the table for it so anthem was their second album that came out in 1968 it's put out by Warner Brothers. So the producers were Grateful Dead and David Hassinger. And you know, I always say the producers as if it means something. And oftentimes it doesn't mean too much, at least from like a conversational piece. But in this case, it kind of does because David Hassinger also produced the their first album as like the, the solo pro- He was the solo, but he was the only producer on it. Like Grateful Dead's not a credited producer on the first album. And like I said, when we talked about the first album, it was like Warner Brothers was trying to like fit them into a box. And I felt like, so in the second album, Grateful Dead and David Hassinger produced this one together, he got frustrated and he quit halfway through the project. Um, because they were not at all like prepared in the studio they were not like they just wasted according to him they like wasted a lot of time just like jamming and doing drugs and like he grew he grew he got very fed up and he like screamed at them before he left like it was very much like a like he was not happy like leaving uh leaving the way way he did. (laughs) I keep thinking about to say David Hasselhoff.
1: So I picture David Hasselhoff being like, guys, get it together!
0: (laughs) With his shirt off in German. You're (laughs) Hoff. But like, okay, again, like the genre on Wikipedia, though, is acid rock. And I feel like, yeah, yeah, this is the most acid rock album I might have ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: I have to say, Shannon, there's a very specific reason I like that you liked this album so much and here it is when I was listening to this you know it was the second album and I started getting into it and those weird experimental sounds started coming out of my speaker I had this thought of like what did I get Nick and Shannon into like they're going to hate this
1: (laughs) that's so funny I mean mean, it's not for
2: everybody you know
1: yeah I mean this is why I was so shocked early on this recording I was like oh no but I kind of, honestly, what you guys talked about with um, the one that has the weird name that I will say is... Axomoxua. 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 Everything you guys were saying about that one, how you guys were like, well, I just didn't really connect with Anthem of the Sun, but then I really connected with this one. I felt, like, flipped on. Like, I had a hard time connecting with Aximoxua, and whereas I connected with this one like pretty immediately and very well, and I loved all the, like, crazy weird like experimental sounds and like there was just like so many random instruments on it and like I was digging it I don't know again it's this it might be related to this thing where like I put their first album a lot higher and I just I don't know I I, I like it I think I tend to have a soft spot for early careers but I really like weird music (laughs) I don't know I didn't even think it was that weird I was just like Oh yeah, this is a good one. Everybody's going to be into this, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, for me it was like like I like psychedelic music a lot, honestly, like and I think that was what kind of like why it's lower, especially like pretty low for me is that like it was like why am I not into this? Well,
1: I'll I'll tell you another thing is it was lower on my list and then when I was reading the Wikipedia page for it, I got like really psyched on it and like had to go back through and listen to the, like the other versions of it, like the Like, I I had downloaded all the 2018 remastered versions on my phone Mm -hmm. to listen to, Um, and when I was reading this one, it, you know, the Wikipedia page just talks about, assembled through a collage-like editing approach, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, Mm blah, in which disparate studio and live performance tapes were spliced together to create new hybrid recordings oh. got really excited about that that's right? so interesting and then the band mm-hmm. also supplemented their performances with instruments such as prepared piano kazoo harpsichord timpani trumpet blah 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 and like then going back and listening to like i mean i don't know i don't know what the differences are with the remastered and not but i went back and listened to like I mean, a different version, and I felt like it was... I felt like I had been cheated into listening to this 2018 remastered yeah. that was maybe not giving me the best representation of this yeah. album. So when I went back and listened to whatever, like 2001 album. Or, you yeah, know, yeah, 2001, there's a bunch of
0: versions on there. Yeah, I mean...
1: I was like... And maybe I was tripping because I was like, oh, I can hear it, like... Ugh. But no, I'm sure you it. could... And all the weird, like, little... Like, uh... Yeah. All the weird instrumentation and stuff. I got... Super psyched about that, just that recording process, and then listening to it again. It made its way up to number one. Here we are. Awesome.
2: Shannon, that makes me so happy. Even though I rank this album pretty low, and I'll explain why in a moment. I think that you're actually proving yourself very well to the deadheads. I think they'll love you. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Because I think this out of all their albums represents the feeling of a Grateful Dead Live. um, experience (laughs) the best because it's experimental you don't know what's going to happen yeah. some some things sound kind of weird and then like eventually evolve into a, a a working melody but it's sort of all over the place and like yeah. there's something very exciting and chaotic it's, and wild about like that it's like
1: avant-garde yeah. yeah
2: and even though like on stage they wouldn't have all those instruments it's a similar type of journey that the music goes on and i love that you like resonated with that like yeah. like you, you got excited about it and then for when i me, went to
1: axel moxwell i was like this is kind of boring yeah it's <laughs> kind of like
2: back to vanilla <laughs> but for me like because it's so similar to their live sound the whole time i was just uh, thinking yeah, why yeah. don't i just listening to a live album sure. like the live album is similar to this but like to me just a little better or like a little more fun to yeah, like yeah. dance around to the live albums um so no i i love that you had that reaction and that you went and listened to the different versions of the album.
1: You guys, I'm so relieved because I pa- I panicked when you guys were like number twelve. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what am I gonna say? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: no, I mean, I think like you're kind of blowing my mind a little bit with like uh, the different versions and stuff because like I make I made like a discography like playlist with all the albums like the studio albums that we're supposed to listen to and like you know, I often wonder, like, what are the differences between the 2021 and I, remaster and the 2003 remaster? You know, and...
1: Usually, I don't think there's, like, that, but I mean, maybe...
0: I'm sure there are, and, like, also, yeah. like, you know, depending what speakers you're listening to them on, or, like, what press it was, or if you have noise canceling headphones on, like, these things can make a huge difference, and, um, you know, again, like, I I do like psychedelic music a lot, like, I mean... You know the flaming lips, the terror, like, like that one's pretty freaking weird, and I'm. Yeah, yeah. But I think the year.
1: difference though is that it's like, it's like, um, it's like psychedelia, but it has more like of like avant garde jazz kind of feel, where it's like, where is this going? Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, here we are. Or sure. <laughs> like, I don't know, but I, um, I don't know, really liked it.
0: I'm glad you liked it so much. It's pretty cool that you had it so made high. It It
1: just made me so. It made me so excited and, like to, to know that there were like different versions that were actually very different Mm-mm. instead of like, okay, this one got remastered again, re-released or whatever. And it was like, oh, I'm really like scratching the surface <laughs> on, on what's going on with their career, or, like their musicianship and just like what they were bringing to the table in the, you know, in their early, I mean, throughout their career, sure. But like in these early days with pushing, you know, progress, progressive, progressive um, music. And that's what I got to say about that.
2: Okay, we're doing a sequel episode where we just listen to live versions, <laughs> and Shannon's gonna go wild. <laughs> <laughs> who's Who's next? <laughs>
0: so, Andrew, what was your number one? Okay, my number one was American Beauty. It feels like it was meant to be. I'm glad that one of us had American Beauty as their number one. It feels like it had I'm so to be. happy
1: because I was also kind of nervous that it was like. Cause that was my number three which i felt like was pretty high
0: my default was american beauty the first time around and then i kind of moved it down just because i had happened to be listening to other songs more yeah but it feels it does feel like american beauty is their like kind of definitive album in a lot of ways yeah it's funny like in my initial list before doing this whole listen
2: through i had american beauty at the top and my first thought was, I can't wait to see what album I'm going to like better than American Beauty. And then just it stayed right, at the top. Right. Yeah. It stayed and stayed. And I just can't get away from how much this album like means to me. I mean, a lot of my memories are associated to it. Yeah. So I, I just can't get away from that. And just lyrically, I think it's the best album. It, it might be my favorite lyrical album of any band, really. And the credit there goes to Robert Hunter, which we should really be talking about. Robert Hunter as really a member of the band. He he wrote almost all of the uh, the songs that Jerry sang, um, and some of the songs that that Bob sang as well. But he was a poet. He I think encapsulated so many different like characters and the spirit of of America so well, and and that's why American Beauty has the perfect name for what it is. Um, and to me, this album just takes me on a journey and it it it's almost perfect almost perfect if it didn't end with truckin it would be perfect <laughs> but it just ends on this like goofy fun song <laughs> but anyway i just love it so no, it much was,
1: it was it's such a solid album like honestly honestly like usually it's very clear to me when i look over the playlist that i made like what's number 1 and this one i was like every song just like oh yep yeah, add that to the playlist add that to the playlist so it is like funny that it's not my number one but it's like such a solid album yeah
0: yeah i feel like the lyric stuff is probably what like i didn't have time to totally like dig into you know like i very much recognize like how great the songwriting was and it was just like man these it just feels like there's great song after great song but you know again i just being at such a surface level novice of this band i didn't give myself enough time to really give the story of albums like this totally a chance and so like you know we'll we'll talk about in just a couple minutes but like um this was part two not maybe not part two but like this is their second album of the americana folk um uh, style that they were doing so their first three albums were deep in psychedelic psychedelic rock um, from the 60s and then their first two '70s albums were they both came out in 1970 which is crazy. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to have two albums the same year, and both of them were like folk rock or uh, country rock and um, roots rock, I guess. And
1: it's not that crazy because they're like kind of in the same genre, but yeah, it's but crazy it, to put. It's, they're it's both crazy that they're so such high quality, right? They're all really good right. songs, yeah. you know. They're just
0: really, really, really solid songs. So yeah, I mean, I had I I definitely could have had American Beauty number one. I could have had it. I had a number three just because I don't know, I just kind of wanted to give Terrapin Station some love and I wanted to split up the two folk ones a little bit, you know, but uh, it was the first album I heard, like, you know, years ago I heard American Beauty and it was, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah, this is 70s, 70s rock, it's great. Um, one thing that I read was that they, this was uh, them coming to terms about what it means to be an American band in a lot of ways. At least lyrically and stuff on this album. Interesting. I wonder if they were sort of
2: like uh, resisting a little bit before that. Like they were trying to be more subversive and in this album they, they embraced like, oh we are American and that's imperfect and all these things, but we're gonna we're gonna
0: lean on that. We're gonna more. keep trucking. We're gonna just <laughs> keep trucking on. <laughs> Well, we talked about this off mic a little bit, and how how Grateful Dead is one of the um, first like huge American rock bands. In that, like, you know, in the sixties, it was the Beatles, the the Kinks, the Rolling Stones, the British whatever. Invasion, yeah, Led Zeppelin. Like, there are a lot of British bands, but Grateful Dead was one of the first um, true gigantic American
2: um, American American rock bands. American yeah, rock bands. Exactly, yeah. I mean, there's like the Beach Boys and other acts that were, yeah, you know, this is debatable, but American I would call pop, those pop. pop those were definitely pop. Bands. Yeah, yeah. Pop, right. Pop realm. Yeah, and so the, the Grateful Dead really sort of shouldered this identity as um, a, a dirty, uh, you know, for better or for worse, American band that, like, and I think that's really well exemplified by the fact that if you go to Europe, Like, nobody knows what the hell you're talking about if you talk about the Grateful Dead. Sure. You know, they really are, like, not a culturally exported band, even though the United States sends uh, our media all over the place. Um, Yeah, and I think this album exemplifies that very, very well. It is an Americana style through and through. It's folk. It's country. It's blues. it's, It's rock. You know, it's acoustic. It's
0: everything bundled in and just really well executed. I mean, didn't you guys think it was weird, though, when in the middle of it, he just started singing about that plastic bag that was floating in the wind? Um, you know and how that was the I, most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I like um, could, not,
1: could not break my mind from the movie American Beauty, and I'm sad to be referencing <laughs> it right now. But even when I just like Googled American Beauty to get like to the Wikipedia page, I was like, oh uh, man, Kevin Spacey, uh, uh, you know? I didn't want to think about him.
0: Just made me want to get a camcorder out <laughs> and start going out in my yard. <laughs> I mean, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, but um, just kidding. So, um,. No, great album, great, great, great classic album. My number one was. Uh, Wait,
1: did we do your number two? Did yeah. we get to your number two? Yeah.
0: Yeah. My number two was. Terpen
1: oh God! Sorry, I panicked.
0: Whew. My number two was. My number one was um, "Working Man's Dead. So just like the the album that came out before this one. So this is also a 1970 album, uh, produced by Bob Matthews, Betty Cant- Cantor, and Grateful Dead. Roots rock, folk rock, country rock, blues rock, um, yeah. I mean, uh, for me, this album, I just really liked a lot of the songs on it. I just think that like the songs, like, it, it to me, the album felt like it, it. It felt like a realized vision right away. Like it was like everything was captured all. Altogether. I think you could say the same thing about American Beauty. Like, American Beauty had, like, a moment for everybody. Like, everyone was firing all cylinders. Um, I just, for whatever reason, I think the songs are maybe a little bit more catchier or maybe digestible or something. I had the like, same
1: thing where I, like, I put it just right above American Beauty. Beauty for me. Like, I would, yeah. but I don't know what that. I mean, what well, you know, say? it's
0: like Dire Wolf is really catchy. Casey Jones is like such a catchy it's song. Catchy. Which, like, Deadheads probably don't like how catchy it is, but like, I don't Deadheads oh, don't like to admit how catchy it is. <laughs> I, I,
1: yeah, I very much enjoyed
0: it. Yeah. Cumberland Blues with its bluegrass elements just really got it for me. Um, I just, I just so really, I just really loved, like, what this album was putting out. It was, to me, like, Beach Boys meets Neil Young. Wow. You know, it was like yeah. the harmonies are there. The beautiful guitar playing is there. It's just like, it just was this cool folk rock thing. Like, totally,
2: completely packaged together. And what a 180 from axa Axua. oxo Where, you know, that one yeah, was that's very crazy. psychedelic, like, electric guitar based. And it must have been a conscious decision where they're like, Guys, we gotta dig up the the jugs for this one. You know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> so funny though that they totally have these roots in like folk folk music. Yeah, or folky. I don't know what jug band fits into. Right. I mean,
0: I think Andrew, you're totally folk right. Jug. Yeah, they're like bluegrass oriented. Well, the thing that the I was reading about, which again, like, I'm such a novice with them, but I was reading about like how they had a huge drug bust in New Orleans right and they could have had jail time through that. So it kind of felt like they were trying to get away from the psychedelic rock oh, scene that's
1: also and pretty hilarious. They're like, "Okay guys, just put out this put out this folk album, this bluegrass <laughs> album." But then, but then the other piece being, Woodstock was a mess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The other piece being Robert Hunter's like lyrics, like that was, this is the first time when they brought him in, right? Was it? I mean, maybe, you like, might be right. Um, I just thought he wrote like
2: St. Stephen and China got sunflower I mean, on. I could, I things, could but totally but be wrong. I, I don't know.
1: I'm what gonna I'm work on about, fact checking this. Wait, get wait. on it.
0: It just felt like the songwriting was put like as like a priority for yeah. a priority on this one.
2: I think you're you're very right, and at the very least, like he, you know, Robert Hunter and Jerry Garcia hit a stride with their their songwriting cooperation. I also think it like, it represents the era really well, as a lot of these albums do by the way, the era in what was going on culturally in the United States and the world. Like the hippie era had died a, a pretty sudden death. Like Woodstock happened. Um, and the, the hippies just sort of like died out at the end of the 60s, didn't literally die, but Some like them the movement died. died. Well, yeah. and, then, and then
0: the concert with the Rolling Stones happened in San Francisco, right? Or right outside Altamont, San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. And they have a song on this album about that right. experience, right? Exactly. And like, like that was like, like that was the anti-Woodstock where it was like in a pavement and people died at the concert from like violent actions and stuff. Like it was yeah. pretty terrible. And, and the Grateful Dead helped put on that right. festival too. Like they were supposed to play at it, but then they saw how terrible uh, the concert was falling apart and they kind of just bounced. Right. But,
2: yeah, I think they really consciously saw what was going on out in, in the world and
0: like internalized that and took a different direction intentionally. That's so interesting too. And, and like, and we can't, I mean, now we're sitting here, you know, God so many years later, being like, like, clearly it paid off because, you know, you can, you can appreciate like their, their older, you know, acid, psychedelic stuff. You can uh, hear how great the songs are on um, in this, in this time period and their live stuff, which again, I haven't really dove into, but like their live stuff is its own thing where it's back to the psychedelic and the, the jam and all, all the grooviness.
2: Right. I mean, it, it's really telling that out of, 13 albums it took us until like 7 or something to actually start talking about the albums because generally I think most bands we'd have a similar list you know like we at least agree on like what's at the top and what's at the bottom but there's really something for everybody Yeah, with the Grateful Dead
0: and yeah that's th- probably why I was like kicking myself when I made my way through the discography being like Man, this, there's just so much going on with this band. There's so many different layers. I know, layers we're so and... funny
1: because we were like, we can do 13 albums. They're like 35 minute long albums. No problem. And then it's like, oh shit, no. But they're 35 minutes of like, you got to really dig into them. Like there's a lot more to dig into. Yeah.
0: Totally. Great experience though, guys. It was truly a great experience. Andrew, I really thank, thank you for doing this with us. Uh, you know, having us like be the catalyst to having us go through the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I mean, not only for having
2: me, but for sort of um, humoring me and, and kind of going along with this. Um, it's been fun hanging out with you guys this whole week, and I know that I've been just very excited to, like, to get these things out. Yeah, As you yeah. said at the beginning, Nick, we all talk about music so much. And it, to me, it was this sort of, like a like, this cloud hanging over my head of, like... I know we all just listen to The Grateful Dead, and we all have opinions, we're all
0: bottling it in, and we just got to let it out. Yeah, that so. that's like, that's me and Chan's whole thing. That's why, like, we used to joke about, like, we're married, but we don't talk about the music at our house, we listen to them separately, we have our own opinions, but... <laughs> Uh, before we you know conclude the show we should do a ultimate Grateful Night ranking which is going to be very hard because it's all over the place yeah wow.
1: I, I i tallied I, you know i tallied where we put some stuff but i missed a couple so we'll have to review it
0: okay so i think i think you know clearly clear the last, okay built the last built to last, the last yes built the last at the last yeah
2: built to be last okay. cool
1: here's kind of the here's kind of the situation so i feel like next might be go to heaven because we got it all, all of us kinda of put it below below nine
0: <laughs> or in the dark. I think that it should go go to heaven and then in the dark.
1: Go to heaven, number twelve, and then eleven in the dark, which would make us at 10. Oh, This is really hard. Where did you have Shakedown Street?
0: Andrew had, had a it at high at two.
1: And where did you have I think bottom? this
0: should be our first time we go where top two. Bo- like, we should start from the top and end of the bottom at the same time. Like, we know what the bottom looks like. We could probably figure out the oh, top yeah, yeah. pretty quick here. No,
1: but where did you have Shakedown Street? I had it at number two? 10. Oh, okay, great.
0: But Straight Down Street's got to be a lot higher. Because no, no, Andrew no, I just, so
1: I had missed that one.
0: Yeah, I'm not like...
1: Where did you have Grateful Dead?
0: I had the Grateful Dead at number 11.
1: Me too. No. No, I had it at five. Where did you have it? Number eleven. Grateful
0: Dead. I had it at ten.
1: Okay, that one could probably go down there.
0: Because I
1: had something. it at five, but like you guys both yeah, had it pretty that well. Yeah, that should be
0: maybe the first one after um, the bottom three, and then maybe even Axum Mama.
1: Axum Mama. Yeah. Seven, seven, <laughs> six. That feels like it's probably a pretty solid seventh spot. I guess there's no such thing. Okay, now the numbers are all mixed up. It's Do you pretty... want to keep on this? I have to go yeah, pretty up. crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, let's start at the... T-
2: yeah, totally. I pee outside all the time.
1: Let's start at the top. Wait, where was working man's... Hold on, I'm just going
2: to sort this in an Excel sheet. Thank you. Go, go to the bottom. Actually, yeah, it doesn't really matter. So at the top, Anthem of the Sun, 12, 11, 1, so it's 24. Flood this is... is
1: an interesting. that we don't normally do it based on logic <laughs> that much. Sorry, my computer brain took enjoy, over. I'm enjoying um, seeing what the actual numbers are, will look like <laughs> because me and Nick are usually like, I don't know, just put it there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Terpen is 17. Andrew's
1: doing math. <laughs> i are supposed
0: to do math with this.
1: <laughs> this is not a math book.
0: We
1: also heard you love for it. laughed really
0: hard. So I think you should go American Beauty number one.
1: I'm letting Andrew do his math first. Yeah, let's see if. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm with you. Obvi- but it's number three. Wait. You had it at number three. Yeah. I had it at number three.
0: Hey, Andrew number one, then. And
1: Andrew had it at number one, so why wouldn't we put it at number two?
0: Because what else would be number one?
1: You're absolutely. I guess Working Man's Dead was one, two, and three. So Working Man's Dead would go working higher. Working Man's
0: Dead could go higher. I just feel like we should value Andrew's like, take more. Do you want to hear the real ranking?
1: <laughs>
0: no, because we don't. <laughs> yeah, it's I do, not, actually. Because okay, you actually weight things
2: differently <laughs> than just the numbers. Well, I just feel like it's we like, have like a gentleman's thing. Up, it's but like, I do want yeah, to know
1: what, what, what the number. are. I, I also want to
2: Okay. Well, it's, a, it's very close between Working Man's and American Beauty, but it's Working Man's first, then American Beauty, and that, yeah, see how close it is? It's like six total points and seven total points, and then Wake for the Flood is a distant third.
1: that makes sense? Because Wake for the Flood was, was seven, four, and four.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then after am just really mad that we
1: have numbers. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. Terrapin <laughs> Station. That there were actual numbers. Um, I don't know if the list done. Wait, and then Terrapin Station? Hmm. Terrapin station is Interesting. number four. And then Aximaxua.
2: No, next is from the Mars Hotel.
1: Whoa. you
2: After that is Tide, Axemoxua and Shakedown Street. Hmm. Which is hilarious.
1: I'm gonna put Axe with first because I love that they yeah. it's the only one that we got like
0: Plus you guys both ranked it higher. I don't know if we put Shakedown's tree higher than then it's seven, which is what you had said before, Sean. I mean it's tied for That's six. True. Seven, seven seven
1: six? Okay. Shakedown's tree can go high.
2: Number eight is Anthem of the Sun. And
1: then Blues for Alla.
2: Number nine is Blues for Alla.
1: That feels Actually, like they should be switched. Because, Blue Swirl is tied with. Grateful oh, you're right. Day. I have to have Anthem of the Sun because I I fucked the numbers and put it in number one.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that was such a good conversation we had about why. you And that's so why that. I talk about where like I just feel like it's this. This, we've never done like a purely math approach because like no, but we, this makes
1: sense because it's 12, 11, and 1 it's not going to be higher than like I know
0: but we also value like the input that like your number 1 should be weighted more because yeah. it's like yeah, number 1's in general are just yeah. weighted more so if I'm, it is a crazy I number 1 but it's it was like, like.
1: but it was like you guys had it so it's not like you had it like a number
0: but you had a good reason for it though too like. Uh, so where would you put
1: Anthem of the Sun? At? I'd
0: put it at number 3
1: no nice okay i think we have the. Rest you could
0: three. say
2: that like all of our number ones automatically get in the top three. that's how i feel that yeah.
1: it should be yeah that's i fine. feel like it
0: should be like one two three and um, i like that
1: all right i feel like we have a list
0: <laughs> i don't know i think american beauty should be number one personally
1: okay i'm fine with that oops sorry because we value your number one more than our number one uh, yeah what? <laughs> because yeah because you're the you're the the um uh, more expert, expert. opinion <sighs> Ugh.
2: Like that brooch,
1: whatever. What would the Grateful Dead do?
2: It's actually just Grateful Dead.
1: We had this on our Talking Heads episode where we were like, oh, the, the Talking like, Heads? How dare you? When I was a kid, my brother was a big Sticks fan, and I'd always be like, Is this the Sticks? <laughs> That's great. <laughs>
0: He's talking heads of the My brother talking was a heads, big right? Sticks yeah. fan. That's the other sentence right. I just said. <laughs> <So> <laughs> when I was
1: a kid, my brother was a big Sticks fan.
0: When I was a kid,
2: I was a big The NXS fan. <laughs> I was a big The ABBA fan.
1: Yeah, even both of those make a lot more sense than being like in middle school and like, Sticks is my jam. <laughs> I'm silly. Yeah. <laughs> Did we switch around? American? Okay, I did, but
0: even though Andrew disagrees, I want his. No,
1: Andrew has math on his side. Uh, big fancy math man. <laughs> just I don't kidding, know. I'm Math's
2: imperfect because I agree that like our highest
0: ranked album should be weighted more. I, I just feel like straight. it's more of a gentleman's thing, and I don't mean to be sexist in that term. I just mean like you know the the traditional sense of like we're buddies hanging out doing this, not trying to like actually yeah. find the greatest ranking of grateful Dead albums yeah
1: which is also why like I
0: think you're I just think that like the conversation we had about your number one being your number one was meaningful and it should yeah. carry weight and honestly like
2: it probably influenced me if I were to rank again to put it higher yeah because was a cool perspective
1: cool
0: so um yeah do you want me to do you want me to uh, say the numbers and you read them off
1: we're going 13 okay Um, sure. Okay, ready? Yeah.
0: And here are our Ultimate Grateful Dead rankings. Number 13.
1: Built to last.
0: Number 12. Go to heaven. Number 11. In the dark. Number
1: 10. The Grateful Dead. Number 9. Blues for Allah. Number 8. Aksumaksua. Number 7. Shakedown Street. Number 6. From the Mars Hotel. Number five. Terrapin Station. Number four. Wake of the Flood. Number three. Anthem of the Sun. Number
0: two. Working
1: Man's Dead.
0: And the number one Grateful Dead album is
1: American Beauty. Alright,
0: cool. I just feel like it has to be American Beauty because I just feel stupid that I didn't pick American Beauty as my number one either. But um great great time talking <laughs> about American Beauty about Grateful Dead, guys. Uh I had such a great time. So, Andrew, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, thank you guys. That was so much fun. Um, yeah, so, we did it. Yeah, follow us on Instagram. We're pretty active on there. And, uh, you know, if you have any ideas for another band we should cover, reach out to us. Because we'd love to have you on as a guest. And um, don't forget to take it easy. Take a load off. Eat, listen, some,
1: eat some Cherry Garcia.
0: Listen to some Grateful Dead. Just keep trucking on. Yeah. Smoke some weed if you feel like it. If you're in
1: one of those states. And, uh, yeah, as long as it's legal. As long as it's legal. We've learned anything from this, from this podcast. And, you know,
0: most importantly, take care of yourself and the people that you love that are around you. And have a great day.